0: Welcome back to the In the Dugout podcast. My name is Jason Ward, a.k.a. Red Sox Dugout. I'm joined by Joey Nagel and Garrett Jacobs-Meyer. Hi. Gorky's Hernandez. He's been tearing yeah. the cover off the ball this spring training so far. To me, he looks like a very good Paw Sox player. Yeah. <laughs> he'll fit He'll fit right in on, on that team. You know, think about that outfield. Bryce Brents, the pride of Pawtucket, Rusne Castillo. Oh, yeah. And now Gorky's Hernandez. Ooh, ooh, that is... Then think about that infield with Chavis, Dahlbeck, Zuwey Lin. The Paw Sox might actually be, like, awesome. Well, you know, the, I, they're better than the Orioles. I feel like they could beat the Orioles. That's not hard to do. Yeah, I know. That's they true. Could, That's a very low They could bar. probably beat the Orioles. They could beat the Tigers. Uh, you know what? You know what? <sighs> hot take. They could beat the Yankees in a seven-game series. That's a very hot take. That is you know why? Hot. Josh A. Smith can just throw a fastball at Judge's wrist. You were thinking, <laughs> yeah. like
1: a true Red Sox fan, break the wrists of every <laughs> yeah. Yankee player, therefore we win.
0: Exactly. You see what Sonny Gray said? No, what do he say? He said um, he just went in on the Yankees' uh, pitch, like uh, their, their pitching philosophy. Like he said, they loved their. I think, I think he said they love their effing sliders, and it's a bunch of BS. You love to see it. I respect Sonny Gray for saying that. I appreciate that. Yeah. I was
1: looking up, I was looking up this quote. Um, the Yankees wanted Sonny Gray to throw a vulgar word for <laughs> poopy pitch. Yes, yeah. that's, that's the yeah. slider he is referring to. <laughs> and uh, the Yankees' over reliance on the pitch led to his downfall in New York. Um, that is taken
0: from Yahoo Sports. It's a good source. Yes. I don't think it was just his slider that was bad, though. I feel like all of his pitches were bad. He's just trying to cover his butt. I feel like now that he's not in New York, he could have an amazing season. He was a Cy Young candidate. A exactly. Years ago. When he's that's not true. under that pressure. I like I like Sonny Gray. I liked him in Oakland. Let's talk about these um these standing predictions that the MLB Instagram put out. Yeah. They're ridiculous. It's full of vulgar word for poop. Honestly. It's just (laughs) Okay, let's start out with the NL ones here. So in the East, they're predicting the Phillies and Nationals to be tied at eighty-nine and seventy-three. After that they have the Mets, Braves, and Marlins.
1: So I don't think the Nationals are gonna be that good. I think you guys also I mean, what do you think?
0: I agree. Like yeah, I actually do cool. like their their record for the for the Mets. I like that record for the Mets. I think eight, the seven, Mets are a sleeper team this year. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I like that too. But I would I would flip flop the Braves and the Nationals, I think. I would put the Braves yeah. in second at eighty nine and seventy three and then the Nationals in fourth at eighty four seventy eight. Yeah, I would do the same. Yeah. And I also think the Marlins are going to lose 100 games. There's no way that they don't, in my opinion. Yeah. Do they even have a normal big leaguer on their team? <laughs> their longest tenured player is Jose Urania. <laughs> yeah, he's like the face of their franchise, too. I don't see how the Phillies, after all these guys they've acquired and Bryce Harper, I don't see how they're only going to get 89 wins. They could win 95. They're yeah. definitely getting above 90. Like 89, yeah. that's... Yeah. And this is just the beginning. Here's the central. They have the Brewers in first. Oh. No, I, I this is I I didn't look at the NL ones when they came out yesterday. I don't know about this. The Central, they have the Cubs in last place.
2: They have 79, the Brewers. And
0: eighty-three. They have the Brewers, the Cardinals, the Reds, the Pirates, and the Cubs. Yeah, no. They have the they have the Pirates two games under five hundred. That's it. Yikes. The Pirates are gonna be in the the basement of that division from opening day on. I feel like the Cubs, there's yeah. no way the Cubs get last place. No way. Here's how I see it. I see Milwaukee winning about 90 games. They're going to win the division. And it's going yep. to be close between them and the Cardinals for sure. Yeah. Then I would I would put the Cubs at third. You know, maybe the Cubs can snag that second wildcard spot. I don't know. Yeah. Probably not, though. And then the Reds. I could see them finishing around 500 but probably under 500. Yeah, and then I agree. Obviously the Pirates at, the Pirates last and they'd probably win 70, 70 75 games. Yeah. Um NL West, I don't really have a problem with Dodgers, Rockies, Diamondbacks, Padres, Giants. I feel like that's that's how it's going to go. Uh let's go over to the AL now. We'll we'll start with the West and go over to the East to West, yeah. they have the Astros in first, Angels, A's, Mariners, and then Rangers. Okay, it's disrespectful to the A's. That's true. I put the A's above the yeah. A's. Yeah, didn't the too. A's win ninety-seven games? Something close to that. I don't know if it was ninety-seven, but something I, close I'm to per- that. I, I, it's way up swear, there. It was ninety-seven games. Might be. Yeah, I could. I think the Astros are going to win a hundred or more, but like ninety, it's a good number for like beginning of the season. I like it, yeah. Yeah, and then I'd probably have the A's in second with about 85 to 90 wins. Yeah, I agree there. and then Angels, Mariners and Rangers. Um AL Central, they have the Indians winning 96 games in first place, then the Twins, Royals at third, White Sox and then Tigers. I don't know the Indians aren't thing. winning 96 games. Come There's on no, now. Yeah, no way. They're not no. <laughs> Not happening. The Indians don't even have this division locked up yet this year. Yeah, That's I think... It's take. The tw- Twins. Twins are good. Don't sleep on them. They got Nelly. They got a whole bunch of people. They got Scope, too. And Crone. Yeah, so... There's lot- going to be a, a lot of power in that lineup. I could see the Twins getting first place, actually. I could see the Twins and the Indians dogging it out with about 80... 80- 85 to 88 wins, probably. Yeah. And then everyone else is just going to suck. I mean, that's, that's a given. Um, let's, let's get to the um, AL East a- now. AL East, yeah. Um, so they have the New York Yankees in first place at 97 and 65. In second place, they have the Red Sox at 90 and 72. And then the Rays, Blue Jays, Orioles. I agree with the order, actually. Yankees, Red Sox, Rays, Jays, Orioles, but the numbers the are and Real. way off. The and Red Sox are both winning over 100 games, or Definitely. close to it. Definitely. The Sox aren't winning 90 games. How can they predict the defending world champs to only win 90 games? Less than the, all the people, they predict them to be less wins than the um, Indians, and less wins than the Dodgers? Nope. Kara, what's your take on this? I'm I'm
1: with you guys. I I think the season's gonna come right down. I think seven games is, is a little pushing That's it. I think it's gonna be a little large. closer than that. Um it's gonna Probably come right gonna down to the like wire. Two. I just don't understand how they can stick the best team in baseball say, Hey, we know you lost, you know, two guys, I guess, if we're counting Kimball out already. Um I just don't think they fall that low. They're too good of a team, they're they have too good of a manager. There's, there's no way.
0: We blew, past, we blew past so many teams last year and got 108 wins, and they're predicting us to win 18 less games this season? I don't think so. Oh, I have a, I have some, I have a question for you guys. Yeah. Do you think coming into this year on sp- in spring training, so like this time last year, last year's team on paper and this year's team on paper – which team is better? Cause in my opinion, uh oh, this year's. Oh wait, never mind. Yeah, on paper, I think this year's team is better, even cause yep. we have we lost Kimbrel. That's it. But we have Valdi now. We have Pierce. I mean, I just this team is deeper in my opinion, except for the bullpen, and even then, it's the same bullpen minus Brazier. Kimbrel. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Brazier, too. I forgot about that. I just don't get how you can. I don't know. I'm not saying we're going to win 108 games this year. Well, I could see us winning 100. I agree. I agree. We're not losing the division by by. I don't think we're going to lose the division. And if we did, it'd be by one or two games. Another thing here with the Yankees is their prediction for 97 wins. for The Yankees is low, too. The Yankees got 100 wins last year, and like I always say, they underperformed. And They, they hit the added, most home runs in baseball history. They added James Paxton, DJ LeMahieu, Adam Ottavino, and there's no way they're going to get less than 100 wins this season. Well, those three players you named, uh, they've had injury problems, especially Paxton. That's true. But- that entire Yankees team has had injury problems Pretty much, except for like Torres and and Duhar. Yeah, and they're young. They still have time to get injury problems. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's just ridiculous. Wait, wait. What do you guys think about the Orioles winning 57 games? I think that's kind of high for them. I think the Orioles are going to win like... 12? I don't know. How many times do they play the Marlins? (laughs) Those are their (laughs) only
1: wins. (laughs) I think it's it's tough. It's probably
0: a two-game set.
1: I think it's tough for a Major League Baseball team to suck so bad two years in a row.
0: They're not a Major League Baseball team at this point. They're
1: they're not. I mean, I mean not, you're paid not professionals. Not you, you have to yeah. go back to your city. You have to at least be able to show your face with some dignity, you know, walking around the streets of uh, Baltimore. You know, I, I just don't understand how you can suck so bad for two years in a row. So I think they might have a little bounce back.
0: I think uh, 57 and 105 is actually pretty good. I, I think that's like I don't have any argument as to why it wouldn't be yeah. why it wouldn't be higher or lower. So yeah, yeah. Um, let's move on to some listener questions. We have like two, but let's do it. <laughs> ben Tarantula, where you at? Uh, yeah, first one comes in from Ben Tarantino here. How will Padre perform this year, and how many games will he play? I think he will perform pretty well. I think he'll hit 275 around that, 275 to 280. And I see I could see him playing in 100 games if he's healthy.
1: Garrett. I'm with Joey. I he's he's basically an old man though. You know, um I hate to say it. uh we love him so much. Um I think his upside is around a hundred games. The thing is, we have the depth to uh, fill his spot, so that's that's the thing. And you know, is um, always conservative with injury wise throughout the entire season. He tries to give people days off. He's uh, really good about that, so I think he'll yeah. stay healthy. Um, but I don't think he'll see the field vast majority of games.
0: I'd say he'll he'll be somewhere around two eighty for a batting average. Um, maybe like seven to nine homers. Um, and he'll probably play two thirds of the season if everything goes well. It's um, about 108 games. Yeah. Yep. Next question uh, from MR Clancy17. Any additional concerns regarding bullpen yet? Would this Quite be on top of the lack of closer? I would assume so. Our bullpen's solid, it's like middle of the road. And we were starting pitching. So my concern is Tyler Thornburg. Um, He's been he's been pretty bad so far, statistic wise. His velocity and motion has looked pretty good, which is encouraging. But uh, let's see here. In three spring training appearances, Tyler Thornburg, um, three innings pitched, six hits, four earned runs, two walks, and just two strikeouts. It's not great. Are you concerned? No, because in spring training, pitchers like to try new things. They, you know, they mess around with their stuff a little bit, see if like test out new pitches and and stuff. So I don't know. Yeah,
1: I thought his movement looked pretty good just watching him. You know, giving the eye test, but I, I think what Joey said is is pretty spot on. You guys, you're not under the pressure of a baseball regular baseball game, but you also you know can try out some things you can take more chances you can go oh that worked or oh that didn't you know
0: exactly and once again nothing in spring training matters at all so yeah um, Who's this pitching one, for the Sox right now this guy sucks Brian Ellington got him from yeah, the Brian Marlins Ellington from the Marlins so
1: that explains it Yo. i'm scared man we might lose this one.
0: Oh, jeez that would suck i don't i don't want to lose this great this grapefruit league title we're the reigning champs this can't happen be an embarrassment honestly let's let's check the Grapefruit League standing shall we I mean okay Philadelphia that makes sense you know Bryce Harper he's finally gonna get his ring good for him (laughs) hey we're we're two games back we're two games back don't don't even Okay, that's not too bad you have plenty of time hey our run differential though JD has only played one game so far, so we got plenty of time. I mean, honestly, we might have to run sale out there for eight innings. You know, True. we got to start winning games. True. Uh, next question. Um, not actually a question, it's a statement. From Owen Ballard, 15. Whoever put the Yankees above the Red Sox on the AL East projections was eating drugs. What type of drugs are we talking about? <laughs> uh <laughs>
1: thoughts i have nothing Next to question add to that ian mccarthy
0: <laughs> um top three jerry's um, first.
1: J- jerry jones number two J- jerry oh. garcia number three tom and jerry jerry from tom and jerry <laughs> there you go okay. one two three if any jerry uh, jerry garcia is a uh a member of the grateful dead of rock band from the 60s that my dad likes (laughs) (laughs) yeah the ice cream the ice cream's good too yeah there you go joey uh that's not jerry that's cherry it's a play i know but that would be like that would be like number four all
0: right uh i'll give mine now uh number one i'd go jerry remy number two i'd go jerry seinfeld Mm. and number three i'd go jerry from ben and jerry's this is literally exactly what I had. All right. Remy, Seinfeld, and Ben and Jerry's. So there you go. Yep, yep. <laughs> Next question comes in from Jerry Math. Top three Ians. Um, well, I, I must say there aren't many. Ian is not on that <laughs> list. No, he is not on that list. I don't recognize him as a person anymore. <laughs> for what he did in the 13th inning of that game, He sucks. Who else well, is named Ian. Well, are we talking about like does it have to pre- be pronounced as Ian? Because you know, there's that guy Ian Eagle. He pronounces it Ian, which is kind of weird. And then would he got he be the on your list. Uh, I don't know. He's kind of cool. Does Pats games sometimes? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't think of many. Um, um,
1: I would say my list. If I had to think of Ians, I would have um. <laughs> Ian Ian Faulkner and then I don't know any other Ians that I actually like including the one who asked this question I don't like any other
0: Ian ouch um, yeah, this is, this, hold on I will come up I will, I, will, I will make a list I got this you know which Ian I like the most I like the Ian who likes sports, concerts, and saving money and you, Which Ian you know, is that, Jason? That Ian is the one who goes to SeatGeek. Because SeatGeek is the best ticket provider out there for all sports, concerts, shows, and more. They make buying tickets easy by grading every ticket price so Ian knows he's getting the best deal. And they provide a view from Ian's seat so he can pick the perfect seats to any event. Plus, Ian and many alike can get $20 off their first purchase with SeatGeek by using the promo code DUGOUT. What kind of idiot is named Ian, to be honest? Like
1: I'll give you my top two Jasons. I'd give you Jason Garrett, and then under Jason Garrett, we have Jason Ward.
0: Who's that? No problem. Ian Kershaw, a historian slash professor. Is that Clayton Kershaw's dad? I don't know. (laughs) Great. (laughs) Um Have you guys
1: ever been down? You reminded me of this because you mentioned um, Jerry Remy. Have you guys ever been down to the Boston Seaport and eaten something called a rem dog?
0: Is that no. The uh... I don't believe so. Is that is that the hot dog with the lobster on top?
1: No. No, it's just a very large hot dog that they call the rem dog because they like Jerry Remy. You made oh. me hungry, and I thought I would mention this because I
0: highly recommend that hot dog. I, I got it for free
1: once, but it was good.
0: I thought you were more of a sausage guy, Garrett. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, are you searching sides or something? You see, I wouldn't, have wouldn't purchased, cool. I wouldn't have purchased the Rem
1: Dog, but someone ordered it, and then the the waiter walked around with the dish for like 20 minutes trying to find who ordered it, and then just gave it to us because they couldn't find that. <laughs> so I ate it. It was good, and I highly so recommend it. So you get it, the Rem sausage? If there was a Rem sausage, I would get that because <laughs> I'm more of a sausage guy myself, but <laughs> uh,
0: uh, 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 okay.
1: <laughs> um,
0: we actually have uh, one more question from any pro sports favorite baseball player growing up as a kid and now. Let's change this a little bit. Like every everybody was a fan of like Manny and Ortiz. Pedro. How about this? Like your favorite lesser known Red yeah, Sox player, I like, like that somebody question. who wasn't good but you just liked them. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I got mine. Mike Carp. Mike. Car-
1: iconic name
0: oh yeah love that name (laughs) you guys got i got a couple i can't choose so i'd have to go johnny gomes oh yeah daniel nava and will middlebrooks (laughs) (laughs) middlebrooks garrett um i
1: i don't know when i was i remember in middle school i was obsessed with johnny gomes um, younger than that, I don't, I only have memories of really liking Dustin Bajoya. Cause I remember like he had this big, you know, Boston globe Sunday morning. So color picture, um, of him like stealing home plate. And I never really understood the significance of that. Uh, and then my dad was like, that's a really big deal. So I'm like, Oh, wow. That's a really big deal. Cause I, I obviously didn't know I was very young. Um, so I, I just remember that that was a pretty cool thing.
0: <laughs> Great. Remember when Jacoby Ellsbury, God rest his soul, used to be uh, a fan favorite <laughs> among, amongst Red Sox fans? No, who's that? I, I don't remember. Who are you speaking of? No, um, Yeah, you know, I, I, it's, it's too saddening to speak of. May he rest in peace. Quinton Berry was on the, the 2013 Red Sox roster, the World Series roster. People and he did literally nothing. Uh, he, he was brought in cause he had never been caught stealing in his career and his first stolen base attempt with the Red Sox, got caught in the stealing. Playoffs, he got caught stealing against the Cardinals. This um, is quite the
1: 2013 roster, Joey. They have, uh, Koji
0: Uyara on it. Koji, my favorite. I remember that. Uh, he's Good, my favorite. Uh, finished it out. My favorite Red Sox pitcher of all time. Remember Matt Thornton? <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, I uh, Drake Britton, too. <laughs> Craig Breslow, this roster is whack. Oh. We did not deserve to win this. Let's look at the 2012 roster, because that one was even weirder. Ooh. Yeah, weren't we garbage? So yes. bad. That was, that was the Bobby Valentine won. year. Bobby Valentine was the manager, and Ben Sherrington yeah. was the GM. Joe, do you yeah. have anything to say about Ben Sherrington? oh boy do i (laughs) give give me a second i mean every day i wonder what in god's name was ben charrington thinking signing pablo sandoval aka the human whoopie pie to a five-year 120 million dollar deal
1: do you guys remember when he broke his belt does anyone remember that yeah he swung and he busted his belt (laughs) Yes, (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yes, I do. The I've
0: ever seen in the professional uh, sports game. <laughs> I also love that picture of him in the spring training, where his belly is just hanging out of his shirt. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Is um, Aaron Judge a top five player in the MLB?
1: Uh, um, we counting pitchers. Le-
0: let me yeah. let me give you a, a ranking in no particular order. Uh, Trout, Betts, Arenado, um, mm-hmm. Harper. No, no, no. Why? I said, I said Yelich and Bregman as the other two. Yelich, yes. Bregman, not yet. Not yet. Okay. Uh, Bregman's probably top 10. Now. I, I actually like him, but he's, he's so annoying because he makes every play.
2: He yeah. always,
0: he's just so good. He's annoying. I was having a conversation with some Yankee fan. Um, on Instagram earlier That's today. Your Scherzer. Scherzer That's your first mistake. That's true. The top five.
2: Yeah, Scherzer I was thinking about five. him
0: number five, but he was. Oh, he asked me for my top five. Then he was like, Bregman, no way. Yellich just had one good season, and where's Judge? <laughs> Judge isn't even a top five position player. I no. don't even know if he's a top five outfielder. Let's put it like that. So Trout, Betts, Yelich. Maybe. Betts, maybe, Yellich. maybe, maybe no, I, no. let's say, let's say. I, I don't know. Low key Stanton might be. Oh, let's get someone else's take on this. Hold on. I'm going to call on niche and get his take on this. Oh, yes. Does a niche watch baseball? No. <laughs> he does. I don't think he knows what an outfielder is. We'll see what he says. Hello? Hi.
2: Anish. Live podcast. podcast.
0: Anish, 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 what's up? Um, so, do you think that Aaron Judge is a top five player in the game right now? Well, I, I am not the right person to ask. <laughs> <laughs> but he's on my friends. No. And he's ugly. He is yes, so good answer. ugly. He is so ugly.
1: Yeah.
0: And he's a Yankee person. So, I'm going to say he's <laughs> bad. Well, there you have it. Aaron Judge is not a top five player in the game. Thanks, Anish. No problem there you go <laughs> who's playing guitar uh my mom it's very soothing <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, new theme song actually wait no i got it <laughs> what, what is this joey that was... no
2: you can't do that you
0: can't do that you're stealing it Oh, what is yeah. it?
2: <laughs> the
0: Fenway Park, the, the Fenway Park organist got inc- incredibly triggered. He got so mad at uh, section ten because they used a YouTube, like they used a snippet of his song of his song, which really isn't his song. He's just playing, he's just playing a song that already existed on the organ, and he got mad about it. Wait, real? I thought he does the Hold intro on. thing. Oh, not the organ. That's the announcer no, guy. No. I'll yeah, play the it. Announcer. For you. I'll legally play it on our podcast. Hold on.
2: Jared Carabas, Colby Mick, and Steve
0: Peral. Oh, that really brings back the memories, man. What's up, and welcome back. That's double bad because we stole it from Section 10 and stole it from Josh Cantor. I'm pretty sure Steve's okay with it. Yeah, He liked my tweet earlier this week. Wow. I I, I made made a main joke. We had him on the podcast too. So I want to talk about my trip to Fort Myers. Um, Just got back from it yesterday. What originally happened with it is we had a flight on Friday for 8.30 p.m. We actually had a flight at 7.40, but that one got canceled a few days before. Then that 8.30 flight, we were two minutes from walking out the door. That flight got canceled. So then we spent a half hour, hour on the phone with JetBlue Jet Blue people trying to find any kind of combination of airports, any kind of flight that worked to get down to Fort Myers. And we couldn't find anything um, from, like, the Boston area. But then we found something from D.C. to Fort Myers at 9 a.m. on Saturday. So we took a nine-hour train ride overnight to D.C. and then flew into Fort Myers. F. Um, That's good stuff. Yeah. But it, it was great down there. JetBlue Park, I highly recommend going. Um, my favorite part, though, if you go down to Fort Myers, you've got to go to the practices. 9 a.m. practices, players show up around 9, 30, 10. But you can get right up close to the players. You can get on the fence, watch them take BP. I saw Tristan Costas fielding uh, some fly balls, Michael Chavis in the cage. It's awesome. Have either, either of you guys been? No. I have not. I'd love to go, though. I've, I've heard from... Uh, from Dallas Braden and uh, Carabas that Arizona is the place to be yeah yeah I want to go to Arizona because the parks are much closer there yeah yeah like they were talking about you could go to one game and then hop over to the other game like in 15 minutes yeah like Florida is so spread out but Arizona is just like it it's all in like a 20 mile radius and then there's other stuff to do on top of that like there's a top golf there and stuff it looks pretty fun Right, yeah. But the big thing that I did do in Fort Myers is I got a chance to interview the Senior Vice President and Assistant GM of the Red Sox, Zach Scott. We had a great conversation about analytics and all that stuff regarding the Red Sox, so let's send it over to that. All right, we're here in sunny Fort Myers, Florida with the Assistant GM and Senior Vice President of the Red Sox, Zach Scott. First of all, congrats on the World Series win, your fourth ring.
2: Yeah, thank you very much. Appreciate it.
0: So can you just talk a little bit about what goes into your job, what the daily role is that you play with the Red Sox?
2: Well, I uh, primarily oversee our baseball research and development department, which is made up of two groups of people, uh, analysts and uh, software developers. And so we're, you know, there's a lot of project-based work that's going on, so a lot of what I do is to set the priorities, talk through uh, what projects everyone's working on, um, making sure we're meeting the the needs of uh, the coaches, the player development staff, the scouts, whoever is asking for it. We support the entire baseball operation. And uh, so a lot of it is that, talking through it, making sure we're taking the best approach to trying trying to solve the most important baseball questions and problems that we're trying to solve, um, as well as uh, building tools to deliver the analytical insights that we find. Um, And also uh, there's a whole host of new technology that we're using that our department oversees the implementation of that.
0: Yeah, so how'd you get into this job? Because I saw in an article that you also had the option of touring Japan as a harmonica <laughs> player.
2: Yeah, I mean, that, it was an easy decision, but it happened to be, um, I had an offer for an internship with the Red Sox for the 2004 season. At the same time, a friend of mine whose band I would sit in with when they would play in town, they, uh, they were signed to a, to a major record label and they were gonna go tour uh, Japan and, and they asked me to join full time happened to be the same day, but it was an easy decision because baseball was always one of, what I wanted to do. But I actually was working before the Red Sox for four years for a software company that made a baseball simulation game, and um, with Theo Epstein was the GM, we ended up connecting at a musical, musical event, at a concert, a charity concert, and he had heard of our company because we we'd written some articles for ESPN.com and... Um, He wanted to know how we could help him, so we ended up doing some consulting in 2003 and I got to know the guys in baseball operations and then decided to pursue something full time and they had an internship opportunity for me, which I happily took in 2004.
0: Obviously back in 2004, the way baseball was was much different now in terms of statistics and how they were Mm -hmm. used. So now in 2019, how much do you evaluate what the scouts are saying, like based on raw talent, versus what the analytics are saying when you're evaluating a player?
2: You know, from my perspective, it's, all um, It's all data. So it's there's qualitative data uh, that's coming from uh, the experience of our scouts that we want to Utilize in our process of decision-making and there's the quantitative data that, that my department's providing um, But the true we truly believe the best outcome for us is to use the blended to blend that information properly so know how to weight these different things try to study and understand where there may be bias in some of the scouting information that we're collecting, um, and be able to kind of navigate through that, so we, you know, properly weight that information as well as the quantitative. So it truly is a blend of those things. But it has definitely changed, um, especially on the data side of things. Back when I started, I, you know, it's kind of a, I kind of laugh looking back now at what was analysis for me back then is. What the guys on my team do now is surpasses anything I was doing back then because it was mostly box score level data, and what we have now is just much more granular. that allows us to really get a full, a better understanding of kind of what makes players succeed.
0: Do you think there's one set that fully captures how valuable a player is? Is it WAR? I know a lot of people say that's WAR, but what's your Yeah, take?
2: I don't think it's every player is unique and different and. It's, very com- it's a complex thing to just slap a single stat on. I think those stats, like a stat like WAR can be useful to provide a framework to kind of think of things, but it's really, I mean, we need to be more thorough in our evaluation than just a, a catch-all stat, but it can help us think through um, whether it's financial markets or just comparing players. But we really need to get underneath the surface of that and under the hood and understand what, uh, why they're different, how different players contribute to a team's success, how each one of those skills that they have is expected to um, age or perform over time. Those are the kind of questions that we're we're trying to answer. So it's much more complex than that, and they're human beings, which are very complex. I mean, we talk a lot about um, the makeup or the character of a a player, and it's an incredibly important thing. It's probably the hardest thing for us to predict because it changes as people. You know, are complex and they change and their life situations could change. They could, you know, we're talking about young, young players that can age, you know, can grow up and mature just like anyone else. And so their makeup may be one thing at one point in time and something different in another. So it's just a comp, it's too complex to narrow down to one metric.
0: Right. So the MLB has become a lot more um, centered around the home run now than it used to be. So, how do you evaluate a player? Um, who hits like 30 to 40 home runs but a low batting average mm-hmm. versus a player who is for a high batting average but not necessarily many home runs.
2: Yeah I mean we still have to be looking at the run environment of the game you know what drives sc- run scoring and that may change over time um, but ultimately we're still putting values on the events each event that a player we expect a player to create whether that's a strikeout or a home run. or don't. and and understand how that contributes to run scoring so we can value those individual events properly to kind of get to an aggregate um, measurement of that player's contribution. So it's not, it doesn't really, it changes more, actually I have more conversations with our pro scouting department about those sorts of things just because um, we want to make sure um, we're communicating with the scouts on kind of setting their scales and sometimes we've even recalibrated uh you know to to tell them a few years ago that you know average velocity is you know two to three miles higher than it used to be so you know these guys have been around the game a long time have a lot of experience but we always have to be understanding how the game is changing so we can communicate it properly and know you know how many of these players there are in the pool of talent that's available and those dynamics are always changing so we have to stay ahead of that
0: yeah, so JD Martinez, he's kind of the perfect combination of batting average and home runs. He is for a high batting average and a lot of home runs. Um, so, how much did you have to do with that signing last year in JD Martinez? What went into that?
2: Yeah, I mean, JD is someone that we've always uh, evaluated as one of the best hitters in the game, um, and obviously Dave Dombrowski had him in Detroit. Um, but he's someone that he hits the ball so hard and so frequently, so hard. So. Um, that's something obviously with the, with the kind of data that we 're getting now, the batted ball data, exit velocities, launch angles, that we can get a better handle on and uh, it allows us to really understand looking underneath the surface of their kind of triple slash numbers and knowing whether we can now control for a little bit of the noise or luck that's in those numbers or the ballpark we can we can adjust for that better, and so we're not going to punish a guy if he hits the ball and the screws. Um, frequently and happened to make some outs, things like that. So he was always someone that popped despite the strikeouts. He hit the ball. Um, his de- we can also evaluate a guy's decision making, whether he's swinging at the right pitches. So strikeouts aren't all, you could have the same guy with 170 strikeouts and they do it very different ways. One guy might be chasing and swinging all the wrong pitches and the other guy, like a JD, might be that he's just swinging through some pitches, but they were good decisions and we want to judge whether he's making good swing decisions and good take decisions, um, and when he makes contact, how he's hitting it. So if his approach is to really drive the ball, you're willing to take more of that swing and miss to get the damage that's, that's done on the balls that he does connect with.
0: Definitely. And I know JD, he's big into the stats. He's always videotaping his swings and always watching tape. Um, how do the majority of the players accept stats into baseball?
2: Yeah, I mean, last year was a, a big transition for us. Um, there was, a, you know, when Alex Cora was hired, um, I was fortunate enough to be part of the interview process with several other people in baseball operations. And the, one of the primary reasons for that was to uh, be able to ask questions about how he planned on utilizing analytics in his job. And, you know, coming from the Astros, we knew he had been exposed to a lot of that sort of stuff. So it wasn't surprising that he was very interested in it and, We talked a lot right from the get-go about um, integrating a lot of new things. A lot have been made publicly of uh, defensive positioning and some of the work that we provided to uh, help them out there and provide them with good tools and really what we're trying to do is provide them with better starting points than what they used to have so they don't have to do is we don't want them spending so much time trying to interpret spray charts or trying to watch so much video to figure out where a guy may hit a ball. It's really you know we can build optimization models that take all that information into account and figure out what the optimal spacing is between infielders or outfielders, um, and get them to a better point where they can now focus on understanding wh- when it's appropriate to make adjustments off of that, uh, which we want them to do, um, and then kind of selling it to the players. So last year in spring training, we were in- introducing a lot of new things, and so it was an adjustment period for the players. But um, we had meetings where that allowed that allowed them to ask questions. I met with uh, Players about defensive positioning, and they asked some really good questions. So it allowed us to have an open dialogue about it, which I think helped, um, as they could see that we, you know we there's no formula. This is really hard. That you know you can't just follow a script and everything's going to play out. There's they still we're not replacing their instincts. They still have to be able to make adjustments, and uh, you know we're just trying to help them get uh, incrementally better. So they they're very accepting of that, and now they're exposed, and a lot of players coming up in college now. A lot of the colleges have similar technology to what we're using. In some cases, the exact same technology that we're using on um, on the field. So they're coming in already being exposed to us, the, the young players. So it's almost like our minor league coaches are coming to us saying, like, I want to understand more about this because this we're drafting this guy and he's coming and talking about things that I don't know enough about and I want to make sure I understand it. So it's just the game natu- is evolving in that way. Um, so you know we're we just need to be ready to address it and, and now we're, we're very much pro- properly staffed and have enough people to kind of attack all these issues and we have a very intellectually curious coaching staff at the major league level the minor league level our scouts are the same way everyone wants to get better and, and if this is something that can help them get better then they're very open-minded to it
0: one of those tools that you started integrating last season were the note cards and position players back pockets or caps what exactly did it say on those note cards to communicate to the players where to go? Is it like take a certain amount of steps this way or?
2: Well, no, it's, um, it's, a, it's just a visual of um, if you're an outfielder, it's just of all three outfielders, they'll see kind of there's a marker that allows them, there's a couple markers that allow them to figure it out um, where the spot is that's saying, you know, stand here is kind of the ideal spot. The coaches may adjust from that, especially situationally, depending on, Know, the base running situation for infielders. Obviously, if it's a double play situation, they might ad- might adjust differently. If it's a you know, one run game and you're trying, they may do some things differently, which make a lot of sense. We're giving them kind of the bases empty, no outs, you know, general best starting point based on the data. Um, but yeah, it's really that they just look at it. It's we want to keep it as simple as possible, and they can figure out. And we've also told them what kind of uh, radius of flexibility they have before it's actually potentially changing results of going from optimal to less than optimal. Um, and they have pretty decent amount of uh, range. So they don't, it doesn't have to be, We don't want to have a sense of false precision where they have to be in this exact spot. They, they have some radius around that that they can move and it be fine. Because sometimes in the infield, an umpire may be blocking your view, so you can't stand in that exact spot and you have to adjust for those sorts of things.
0: Yeah. So, what kind of things have you been doing for pitchers? Because that's what you do for position players. Have you been integrating analytics in for pitchers too?
2: Yeah, so we do several things for pitchers. Um, for, you know, a lot of what we've done for years is on the evaluation side, identifying talent, uh, making recommendations on players to acquire, things like that. But when we have the players, in order to help make them better, we do some diagnostic type analysis to figure out, you know, how can we make them better? Is there something in their pitch mix um, that we can tweak the distribution of their pitch pitch types to, to optimize them? Um, is there some way that they're attacking right-handed or left-handed hitters that um, could be improved? Uh, so we look for opportunities for improvement there. At the major league level, so much of what's going on there is game planning to try and beat the opponent, and so we do a lot of work on analyzing the opposing hitters along with our own pitchers to figure out the strengths and weaknesses and then combine those things and be able to make recommendations for what analytically we think are the best pitches and the best way to attack this player. But again, it's not a script. We're not, it's not like a lot of college baseball teams where the, ma- the coaches call the pitches from the dugout. We want to give the catchers this as a reference but allows them flexibility to kind of mix things up especially a starting pitcher who's going to go through the lineup multiple times, doesn't want to become too predictable. Um, so we give them pitch types and locations that are recommended as the most effective against certain hitters, so they have those tools uh, for in-game.
0: So one pitcher I want to talk about is Nathan Avaldi, who you guys traded for um, last last June, I think, June or July. Um, so what went into wanting to trade for him? Like, How did you know that he was the guy that you wanted to get, who ended up being great for you guys in the postseason?
2: Yeah, obviously it starts with uh, the avail- available pool of talent, which is usually your guys that are going to be free agents and that um, teams may be willing to move. So you know Dave Dombrowski is constantly talking to uh, the GMs at other teams and finding out you know what they may be looking to do. And so you find out who the available pool of talent is, and you're working off of um, kind of lining those guys up as who you think could be most impactful. And he was someone that. Um, you know, appeared to be fully recovered from the health issues he had had in the past. His stuff uh, was looking as good as ever. He had actually, with Tampa, had started throwing a really nasty cutter um, as pretty much a primary out pitch, uh, which wasn't, you know, he had always been kind of a fastball uh, splitter guy. Um, And those are both really good pitches too, but he had added this extra weapon, so we felt like he's even a better version of himself. And we think that that cutter could be a really useful weapon. So we felt like we were kind of catching him on the uptick um, in his career, potentially. So that's why you know, we traded for him and then ultimately signed him back here.
0: Yeah, shifting gears a little bit, I want to talk a little bit more about the draft process. Were you a part of the Mookie Betts draft?
2: I mean, I was here, but not a real big part of that. Um, so, no, I mean, he was a high school player. So we don't have a whole lot on the data side of things to be able to, um, on the quantitative, we have the scouting evaluations and we can um, understand how to use that. We also had, um, there's a lot that's been written about, NeuroScouting, which is a company that tries to measure players' uh, reaction times and ability to process information and make good decisions very quickly. And he was he's kind of our poster child for that because he scored so high, uh, which we have studied and found to be um, a, a useful metric especially for high school hitters because in the absence of meaningful game data like we have college data that's very useful but for a high school player their high school stats aren't very useful to us so it's nice to be able to find other ways to measure things We, we try to do personality assessments things like that and then study those things to see if they're telling us anything if they have any kind of predictive power so a lot when he was drafted that was we were still in the process of collecting a lot of that information to learn about it Um, So that's pretty, I'd say, almost purely was a scouting decision.
0: And it's got to feel pretty great when he goes on and wins MVP for you and is one of the best players in the game now.
2: Yeah, that's one of the most satisfying things about uh, working for a baseball team is when you produce your own young talent. Um, When I was an intern in 2004, the first thing I was supporting, I am primarily focused on amateur scouting when I first showed up. And then after the draft, I was focused on advanced scouting. So it was very different. different uh, perspectives but we drafted Dustin Pedroia that year so for me it's, it's been really it was really cool to see him go get drafted and be the intern for that draft and he was a really good college performer so that was you know kinda neat and we took him we didn't have a first round pick that year and to see him progress so well through the minors make it to the big leagues struggle but then you know have, have uh, outstanding seasons and win multiple championships with us. so that's such a satisfying thing when you grow up and obviously from a financial standpoint, we need to be able to do that so we can manage the risk that's inherent with big free agent contracts that we have also given out. So you need to have both. So that's, that's always a very satisfying thing.
0: So of the current um, prospects in the Red Sox organization, which one do you like the most that you think could be like the next Mookie Betts, the best star?
2: You know, we have some guys in the high minors that uh, really can impact the baseball, especially Bobby Dahlbeck and Michael Chavis, and they're so far having a really good spring and showing what that they have that ability. Um, so those, those are the guys that I think are probably most on people's radar as far as being able to contribute and make an impact. And then we have some, some power arms I think that could contribute in the near future out of the bullpen, uh, like a Darwin's and Hernandez. Um, so there's some guys. I, I'm not going to go out and drop a star on anybody because I think it's you know, not fair and it's just so hard to predict. I don't think we thought Dustin Pedroia was gonna be a star when we drafted him. We thought he was going, similarly gonna be a good, well-rounded player an everyday player for the Boston Red Sox, um, but then he exceeded our expectations, so it's always nice when that happens, too.
0: Yeah, that definitely worked out yeah. well. Yeah. How much do you value spring training performance? Because a lot of people say that doesn't really matter what they do. Mm-hmm. Do you value anything that really happens in spring training?
2: I do not, no. I mean, I mostly wanna see guys that are, I mean, mostly you just want them to get through it healthy. Um, I feel like I'm sometimes, especially when our pitchers, our regular pitchers are pitching in games, I feel like I'm holding my breath, just hoping everything goes fine and we get to the regular season and everyone's ready to go and feeling good. And so to me, that's the primary concern is just getting to the season when everyone's ready to roll um, and doing it um, appropriately ramping them up and getting them uh, in, in good shape for, for the season. But performance-wise, no, I don't. I mean, I've seen... So many things happen in spring that the the total opposite happens in the regular season, Um, both good and bad. We traded for Mike Lowell in the Josh Beckett deal, and he had come off a terrible season. And he came into spring training, and I don't think he hit a ball to the warning track. And then he's, you know, next thing you know, he has a couple great years in his World Series MVP. So... And that goes, Keith Fulk. when when these guys, I wasn't here for that spring training, when they signed him to be the closer for the 0-4 team, he was awful in spring training, and then he had a dominant year, and they win the World Series. So this happens, that kind of stuff happens in the other direction, too, where a guy's tearing the cover off the ball, and then he struggles. Uh, I just think it's, there. a lot of these players, especially veteran players, they're just trying to get ready. David Ortiz was always terrible in spring training, and just doesn't, there's just no correlation. I mean, there's, Slight correlation, if we've actually when we've studied it, but nothing that. And the only reason that we would study something like that is to be able to provide perspective to, you know, the people that watch the games every day. And you don't want them to overreact to anything in one direction or the other. Don't get too excited. Don't get too down on players if they're if they're not performing in spring training. And we just so that's some, one of those things we might take a look at and be like, see, there's no real correlation with anything. So you know, everything would take everything with a grain of salt.
0: So as you mentioned, you've been with the team since 2004. So you've been a part of the most recent four World Series wins, and you have four World Series rings, which is more than David Ortiz. (laughs) How often do How often do you get to brag about that?
2: Uh, I'm not bragging about that to David Ortiz because he obviously had a lot more to do with those championships, um, or at least three of those championships, than I did. I think he got an extra ring though for being an MVP or something. We gave him some. Our ownership gave him this ridiculously blingy ring that. He, he, he was very appreciative of. Um, yeah, no, it's pretty cool. Um, yeah, I don't say, don't say anything to anyone about that. Um, but uh, it's, there's not that many people here that have been able to be a part of all four. A lot of people have moved on to you know, the Cubs or to the Diamondbacks. We've had a lot of people get uh, great opportunities elsewhere. So you know, I think it's maybe me, Brian O'Halloran, and Raquel Ferreira in our baseball office that have all four. And uh, probably some people on the business side as well, but just in, in the baseball side, it's really it. Um, so it's pretty special.
0: Of the four, does one of them stand out to you as the most memorable?
2: Um, no, I mean that's hard. They're, they're all different. Um, obviously, 04 is the first one, and is growing up in the suburbs of Boston, um, knowing you know, having witnessed some of the painful moments. My first year really following the team was 1986, you know, so watching them be so close to winning the World Series against the Mets and then having it go so horribly wrong. Um, You know, and my parents being from Boston, just having that in my blood, that was really satisfying, but I also hadn't been there for a very long time. Um, But, so that was exciting. 07 to me was satisfying because we had developed a lot of players, and so when you start to have that, you know, and Dustin Pedroia is a great example that I mentioned earlier. Um, so that was really satisfying. 13 for, for kind of where we had been in 2012 and such a um, tough year for us that year. And then obviously what the city went through with the marathon bombing. That was satisfying to see a group of guys who, you know, we also got very fortunate. We hit on pretty much every free agent we brought in that year, which we know is not normal. Um, but there was just such good character guys on that club and and I think a lot of people questioned some of the guys we brought in, some of those signings that weren't, you know, the big, the highest, the top names in the market. It wasn't, you know, Josh Hamilton who was the big name in that market. It was guys that were kind of, you know, we were giving them several, you know, thirteen million dollar a year contracts, so good players. That so I think publicly it was there were some questions about that. So that was satisfying for several reasons. And this past year's team to me is one of, is probably my favorite group of players that had just because there's such a good group of guys personally I felt very connected to the manager and the coaching staff and the work that my department was doing so that was satisfying for uh, those reasons as well so they're all different and great experiences and a lot of fun I feel very fortunate to have been a part of it
0: yeah the chemistry on this current team is just unbelievable between all these players with the analytics do you try to like build that chemistry or do you just look for the best players out there
2: Yeah, it's, I mean, it's one of those things, like I said about makeup, I mean, that stuff we know is really important, but I also would never pretend that we can predict that very well. And and in fact, like, 2013 was a great example of a lot of guys kind of coming together. Those same, most of the same players were there in 2014, which was a tough year for us. And a lot of the same guys that were so great in 2013 contributed to some you know tough things going on in the clubhouse the next year so it's weird because even the same people can kind of change because maybe their interests change maybe it becomes more about okay we won but now you know I'm going into a contract year I want to play more those sorts of issues start to, to come up a little bit and I think that's one of the reasons why repeat repeating is really hard um, but yeah we, we know chemistry is important for me um, I have so much faith in Alex to be able to handle, uh, people so well. He's such a good people person. Um, he really can empathize with people and understand different people and set them up for success and I think he's got unique uh, and a unique ability to do that so I feel really confident that he's going to handle um, even difficult situations. We had a lot go right last year so he pro- didn't have a whole lot of that to deal with last year but it, I'm sure he will at some point in his career here and I feel like he's really equipped to handle that well.
0: Okay last question before we let you go. Which player currently on the Red Sox do you think would be the best at your
2: job? <laughs> huh. That's uh, it's an interesting question. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, one thing I'll say is a former player, that would be, would be Craig Breslow. Yeah, definitely. Um, who uh, got a job with the Cubs and was someone we were talking to as well. Um, but I don't know. Anyone on the current team? Probably not. And they probably wouldn't want to <laughs> ever be doing that. Um, but So, yeah, that's, that's the first person that pops in my head as a former player.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Zach. I really appreciate
2: it. Yeah, it was a pleasure talking with you.
0: Fantastic. That was fantastic. (laughs) Great interview. Big thanks to Zach for coming on the podcast. Um, Great conversation. But I did talk to Zach. This wasn't in the interview, but I did talk to Zach. I asked him about the um, Brandon Workman immaculate inning that I was talking about last week in the podcast. And I, I do have an update on that. Zach told me that the MLB at bat app um, in spring training, it shows the minimum number of pitches. So like, if you fly out, it shows one pitch, that pitch that you fly out on. If you strike out, then it only shows the three strikes. So I was going off what the At-Bat app said um, with the three pitches, or the nine pitches, all strikes. But it um, seems like that didn't actually happen in real life. So
1: You're stupid. <laughs> so Jason's basically fake news. Don't listen well, to him.
0: He didn't deny yeah. it. He didn't say it didn't happen. So there's still a possibility that it did actually happen.
1: I yes, know. I agree with you. That is a good point. Jason, I'm fully with you now. Never mind.
0: There's just no way to prove it right now.
1: Or ever. Or disprove it. So
0: there you go. Exactly.
1: True. <laughs> True.
0: And that's our show for this week. Thank you for listening. Big thanks to Zach Scott, the Senior Vice President Assistant GM of the Red Sox, for coming on and talking with me. Um, I guess I'll see you guys next week. Remember, kids, correlation does not equal causation. Don't eat drugs.